0: West Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So before I get into uh, today's message, I want to give a little bit sneak preview of next week's. Next week we're going to be dealing with, as we continue our series on following the goose, we're using the goose as a symbol for the Holy Spirit, the Celts. I actually use the goose instead of the dove as their symbol for the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about a passage that I think, um, frankly, I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture, uh, where we get to experience and understand who God wants us, wants to be to us in the Holy Spirit. Also, on the flip side of that is this struggle that every single one of us faces. Unless we settle this struggle and really deal with who the Holy Spirit is in our life, we'll we'll just always have a much more difficult time than we need to be. So I hope you'll come back next week for that. Today, um, well, I'll explain. So I go this morning to Starbucks and I go to Caribou too. Why did he go to two places and get? Well, you'll you'll understand in a minute. And as I'm getting my drinks this morning, I ask the uh, attendants. What, what are you taught about your spiel for why your coffee beans are better than everybody else's? Anybody used to hear about the coffee wars and whose beans are best and whose are, you know, over roasted and burned and all that kind of stuff? And who's, you know, so the the Starbucks gal just says, oh, yeah, we just we just have the best selection process. And and really, it's our roasting process and the flavors we put in the we have a, a the design, the way we do it is absolutely the best. And so then I go to Caribou Coffee and I say, well, why do they tell you Caribou Coffee is the best? They said, "Oh, we just we do such a better job than every place else screening who we buy our coffee beans from." And 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 then they said the the real big reason our coffee is best is because we roast our beans every hour on the hour, so they're always fresh. And I had to ask myself, does it really make your coffee taste better to roast them at the top of the hour instead of? But 115 or 117, I, anyway, I didn't get it. We're used to little arguments like that in right, life, right? Today we're going to actually look, as we look at the Holy Spirit, uh, we're going to look at an argument that goes on in theology about how we receive the Holy Spirit. I couldn't resist uh, using this title for the message today. Um, ever since we, ever since we started talking about follow the goose and trying to think of cute creative I just decided I wanted to use that and I, I, realize it like skates on the edge of inappropriateness, but I just, it was way too funny for me. So if you're here today and you think that's a little inappropriate, pray for me. Uh, and if you think it's funny, then thank you for laughing because it's really, really uncomfortable to be the only one that thinks something is funny. Right. So, but we're going to talk about some questions about, so how do we get goosed is basically what we're talking about. How do we receive the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible teach us about that? And when we receive the Holy Spirit, what should we expect that experience to be like? And the reason this is a little important for us is because, I'm going to spend a little bit more time, it's going to be a little different today, I'm going to spend more time on theology than I normally do. Every message I do hopefully has great theology. But I'm going to spend a lot, time, a lot more time explaining the differences in theology because every one of us at some point will run into these. Uh, if we haven't already, these differences in theology about this, and uh, oftentimes these theologies create barriers or create images in us that we'll explain in a little while that are really counterproductive. So will you hang with me for a minute while I go through some of the theologies? There's, we're going to look at basically two. We're going to focus on two, but there are really three theologies about receiving the Holy Spirit. We've dealt with them, and the, one of them in the past—it's called cessationist cessationism—and then there's the two others that are called charismatic theology and a Pentecostal theology. In my lifetime, I've held all three positions. If that is—if you count the fact that my parents were cessationist from the time I was born till when I was three years old—so as much as a three-year-old could have a theological worldview, I was cessationist at one point. Since then, I've kind of flip-flopped between Pentecostal and Charismatic, so all of you people who want to call me a flip-flopper, I own it, I flop on a regular basis, and you guys recognize it, right? And When I flop, okay, so we're just going to jump into this. I have a very strong opinion, but I'm going to keep you guessing for a while. The center of this discussion comes up because of some passages in Scripture that use the term baptism in the Holy Spirit. We see it actually in Jesus' life. It's recorded in all three of the Gospels, and it's said basically the same way, but Luke 3.16 says it this way. It's John the Baptist is talking, and he says, I will baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I, referring to Jesus, is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then again in Acts 1, right before Jesus ascends, the writer is recording what Jesus is talking about, both in the third person and then in first person. It says, And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, before we focus on the two primary ones, let me just deal with the cessationist theology really quickly. In cessationist theology, the Holy Spirit is still active today in our lives, but he's primarily limited to guiding us through the principles of the Bible. And they would say, the cessationists would say, that all the rest of the gifts of the Spirit, the knowing things you shouldn't know, the prophecy, the healing, everything else that we see in the Bible ceased, when the apostles died, thus the name cessationists. And they would basically say, well, they wouldn't Most of them wouldn't say they've absolutely gone away. Most of them would say it's very, very rare so that you should probably never expect to experience any of this, but they might possibly still happen. The reality is, as we 've looked at some of this the last few weeks we 've already talked about the fact that cessationism just doesn 't hold up with the, with the theology of the bible and if you were here last week, you heard us talk about the fact that that cessationism doesn 't even hold up with the heroes of those who call themselves cessations, cessationists in life, those who say it ceased in life, they hold these guys who are heroes who all of them experience the gifts of the spirit still active. it just doesn 't really hold water in fact, if you really look at the landscape of American Christianity. And this whole theological position, it's, it's increasingly becoming non-existent. Even the major seminaries that used to teach this are backing away from it now like crazy in, in, in theology. So that leaves us basically with two to look at. Now we're going to look at the Pentecostals, and we're going to call them the Starbucks crowd. Okay? The Pentecostals believe there are two works of grace. They get this theology from the fact that they believe there is one work of grace, what they would call, and this is a theological term, work of grace. They would say that when you are saved and choose to follow Jesus, that's one work of grace. And when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that is a second work of grace. Now, where did they get this from? They get it from a lot of places in the Bible. John 20. You see Jesus breathe on the disciples and they were saying to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then they would argue they receive the Holy Spirit there and they become saved there. And then you see Pentecost come weeks later in Acts 2 and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second work of grace. They look at Jesus' life and they say, Jesus was perfect, right? So then why did he get baptized and need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because it talks about the Spirit of God descending on him in his baptism. And they say that's two works of grace. They look at Acts 2.38 where Peter on the day of Pentecost is preaching, to the people about what what they should do in response to what they're seeing. And he says, you should, then the text says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And two, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, two works of grace. In Acts 8, we see Peter and John being sent to a group of new believers in Samaria. And the text says, that they had already received Jesus as Savior. And it reads, uh, they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they say there's two works of grace there, right? So Acts 9, we see Paul coming to faith. He gets knocked off his horse meets Jesus, receives him, a couple days later Ananias comes, prays for him, lays hands on him, he's healed and he receives the Holy Spirit. They look at Acts 19 and they see Paul again running into this group of people who were followers of God who had been baptized into John's baptism of repentance and he goes and leads them to be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. So they say there's two separate things we need to experience, right? That's the charismatic the, the Pentecostal Theology. Now, if we want to look at the charismatic theology that has the lid that doesn't want to stay on and spill stuff all over your shirt in the morning before you come to church, they would say there's only one work of grace they would say and argue it this way. They would look back at that same pa- those same passages like in John 20, and they would say, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. But they would not say that's actually them receiving the Holy Spirit. That is a prophetic acting out of what is going to come that we see happen in Acts 2. Therefore, it's one work. They would look at, uh, at uh, Jesus' baptism and say, Jesus was already full of the Spirit. The reason we see the Holy Spirit descend upon him at his baptism is because it is a prophetic witness again, not a second work of grace in their lives. They would look further at Acts 9, and they would see, they would see Paul meeting Jesus, and they would say that Paul actually came to faith when Ananias came to him and explained more clearly the way of faith. And prayed for him. they would look at Acts 19, and note that that text actually says that they were baptized into the baptism of John 's repentance, but it also says that he led them in a baptism in Jesus' name, and then prayed for the Holy Spirit all at once, so there's really only one work of grace because they hadn't even gotten saved yet at that point. You see that theology? So all of a sudden, for the charismatics, there's only one problematic passage left, and that's Acts eight. Because Acts 8 says they had received Jesus, and yet they had not received the Holy Spirit. So how do we deal with that one? We're going to come back to Acts chapter 8 in just a second. Let's go back over to Acts 4. In Acts 4, we see this uh, story going on where Peter and John and all the disciples are together. They're praying. And in verse 31, it says, The Spirit came and filled them. It rested upon them and filled them. And so the charismatics will look at that and go, okay, so in that, it's not a second work of grace, and and that's actually using the exact same type of language used in every other place where it talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit. So it's really not a second work. What we're actually dealing with there is something we've talked to you about many times through this series in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, Paul commands us and says, Your lifestyle should be that where every single day you are asking to be constantly being filled with more of the Holy Spirit, opening yourself more, allowing more of him to become a part of you and express his power and his presence through you in greater ways every day. So there's really not... Two acts, there's one act, and so they look back at chapter 8 and they go, well, this is really just what happened in Ephesians, uh, in Acts 4. This is not a second work of grace. This is a bunch of disciples who were already filled with the Holy Spirit who didn't really understand it, and they come and there's a release of more. It's like Ephesians 4. They're just praying for more, like we should always be praying for more. Therefore, it's not a second work of grace. It's releasing more of what's already there. So... Your head spinning, that's a lot really fast. I've just given you a ton of heady theology really fast, but I'm not ready to tell you my position yet. And uh, frankly, I hope you take my position at the end because I'm the one talking today. But that isn't the end of the distinctions. There's another question. How do we know we have received the Holy Spirit? What should we expect that experience to be like when we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, both crowds, both the Caribou Charismatics and the Starbucks Pentecostals, believe that every time we receive the Holy Spirit, there is evidence of power, the power of God, powerful evidence. Every time we see it in Acts, there is some sort of supernatural empowerment that goes on. So both of them believe that we should experience Something. In fact, they would hearken back and we would all hearken back, I think, to Jesus' own statements in Acts 1 and uh, verse 5 and 8. Let me just summarize. Jesus basically says to us, says to the disciples, you should wait to start your ministry until you receive the Holy Spirit because then you will be empowered to do the ministry with power beyond yourself. So what should we expect the experience to be like? Well, that's it's kind of an interesting discussion, too, because if we go back through all those same texts we just talked about, Acts 2, we see the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit as this sound, violent, rushing wind and the shaking and this and this vision of flames of fire resting on the disciples and speaking in tongues. And Acts 8 is interestingly silent on the issue. It doesn't say anything. It just says they're filled with the Spirit, but doesn't describe what that experience was like at all. It's frustrating when the Bible does that, isn't it? Acts 9, Paul is healed, but it and then and then we see this boldness immediately the next day where he's gone from persecuting the Christians to boldly proclaiming Christ, but it really doesn't describe what he experienced in the moment of being filled with the Spirit. Acts 10, we see Cornelius and his whole household filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues and praising God. In Acts 19, we see again tongues and prophesying. So the Starbucks. Pentecostals, they would say that because you see tongues at every single one where the text is not silent about what the initial evidence is, that that should be the experience we all experience when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they would argue that you can't make an argument from silence, but because every place it's not silence that says that, more than likely that happened in Acts 8 and Acts 9. And especially since Paul later in in Corinthians says, I speak in tongues more than all the rest of you, right? So they basically say, you know you've got enough caffeine by a very specific evidence in your life, okay? But then there's the caribou charismatics, And they would look at those instances and they'd say, well, yeah, but there's lots of different things listed. So basically, the evidence really that the Spirit has been imparted to us, that we've received it, is pretty much any sense of spiritual empowerment. It could be tongues. It could be prophesying. It could be just this overwhelming sense to praise God and this joy. It could be this overwhelming sense of love. It could be dreams and visions. It could be anything. But we should experience something of an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence so what is it what's right i think there's a bigger question is this a big deal is this a big deal to even have this conversation well to many it is have you ever driven down the street and seen a church sign that had on the sign full gospel written on the church sign when you see that, that you're basically looking at a church that at least at some point in their history was probably Pentecostal. And where this gets to be a big deal is that it creates all these arguments and all these divisions all too often in the church, not just at the theological level, not just at the pastoral level, but in the pew as well. Let me give you an example of how this looks sometimes. And it's actually, I'll just use an example from my previous work setting. I was working with a group of Pentecostal pastors, and uh, they needed some coaching and some training in areas. So I was proposing the idea of bringing in a guy who was a Baptist in to do the training and, pro- and stuff. And Baptists, typically throughout much of the last century, have been cessationist in their theology, although that's very rare today to experience that uh, in that way. And so the diehard Pentecostals in the group looked at me and said, well, the Baptists are great at getting people saved, but they don't have the power. So how can we listen to somebody who doesn't have The power. And so we end up in these arguments where really this gift that God wants to give us, this blessing that God wants to give us becomes used divisively and actually undermines the very essence of what it means to follow Jesus, which is relationship. Because we get caught in this pride. We get caught in this superiority. Or if we don't get caught in the superiority, if you hear these arguments and you'll run into them and you don't experience it like the Pentecostals or Charismatics say you should experience, what's going to be your first question? What's wrong with me, right? Why am I not worthy of this blessing? And these theological arguments lead to places where we end up feeling inferior or we end up falling prey to pride. Neither of which is like Jesus. Neither of which is like what the Holy Spirit wants to bring to us. It's not at all like what we talk about, one of our core values. And this is a core value because we believe it's what Jesus demonstrates to us, that we pursue constantly loving relationship above differences. So, which is it? Which one is right? How do we believe, how should we believe, so that we can respond correctly. You ready for my position? Are you sure? Yeah? I take a theological position which I label, it doesn't matter, and I don't care. How's that? It's like when you go to Starbucks in Caribou, Do you really care how they roast their beans and which is the best way to do it? Or do you care that it feels good going down? In fact, if you're really honest, half of you don't care at all about the taste. You just care about the caffeine, right? I mean, let's just get real, right? I mean, that's it's like Republicans and Democrats arguing over poverty. We start looking at each other's uh, talking points, and we start bashing each other, over disagreements when really each party is looking at the person, looking at the need, and wanting to really truly address the need. They just want to do it differently than each other. Isn't that true? And I'm not saying that theological debate like I've just gone through with you isn't important. I think it's very important. I have three theological degrees. Come on. I think it's really important that we do good theology but what I'm saying is if we leave our Bible, a biblical study in our own devotional life or our theological study at the level I've just outlined, which many of us are prone to do when we're looking for an answer about a moral question or, or a, a question of how we should live as a Christian, we, we, we try to look at the words and we focus on them so much and we end up being Pharisees so easily instead of people with deep and vital relationship with God and others. Who cares whether we define the experience of the Holy Spirit as releasing more of what's already there or as a separate experience? We know when we've experienced it, right? Don't we? We know if we have experienced it or not. We know whether we've experienced it in small measure or great measure and whether we need more. And the reality is, the Bible teaches us we should always be asking for more and pursuing more. So actually, let's... Let's not call my position theologically, it doesn't matter and I don't care. Let's call it relational theology. See, if I had to choose between the positions I presented you today, I'd probably choose what's called a neo-Pentecostal. In other words, I'd probably believe that there is a second work of grace, but the evidence could be whatever, right? And I would agree with Ephesians 4 that we should always be asking for more. But my friend Chris pastors a wonderful church in Washington. He's a diehard charismatic, as uh, are Jeremy and my wife. So if I, as a Pentecostal, say that you should ask to receive the Holy Spirit, you should wait and eagerly pursue to experience Him and be open to all of the gifts that He wants to give you, regardless of what they look like, but Chris and Jeremy and Wendy say that all, what you should really do, because as a believer, you've already received the Holy Spirit, you should just ask daily to be received, to receive more of the Holy Spirit, to be more open to increasing his, to, to to increasing the sense of His intimacy in your life, and to to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your ministry, in your business decisions, in your parenting, in the way you talk with people and pray with people, of friends and enemies alike. That you should always want to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Both positions involve asking God. And does God really care if you believe everything correct about theology? Or does he care that you're asking and you're open? Thus, the I don't care theology is really relational theology. Because, again, do I as a dad, do I as a father care if my children tell me they love me in a grammatically correct, proper grammar way? Or do I just care that they pursue me in love, however it comes across? You see, when we talk about relationships are the mission as part of our ministry here at Quest, and you see it out in the lobby, faith isn't about parsing words first. It's not about getting things exactly figured out first. It's about relationships. And how many of you have really loving relationships with people, even though you don't think correctly on everything? Right? If there's anybody who thinks they think correctly on everything, sorry. You know, sometimes when we study the Bible, whether, the, whether, it's, whether it's trying to figure out a moral choice, or whether it's trying to figure out how God wants to believe, us to live with our finances, whether it's whether it's whatever decisions, we get, we so easily get caught up in the words and trying to believe exactly right to figure it all out. And we miss the beauty of relationship when we do that. It makes things difficult and formulaic when we study the Bible that way, when it's really about simple relationship of just turning towards the one who's pursuing us, who's loving us, turning towards them and loving them and receiving their love. You know, theology and our Bible study is dead if we don't see it through the eyes of loving relationship. So where does that leave us today in answering our question? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, It leaves us just in a simple place where we're going to invite you in a minute to just actively respond in a way that just expresses openness and desire to have more of God in your life. Before we get there, I want to give you a couple um, observations from these texts as well, just that are going to be used today to guide our response and our freedom. If we, if we look at the text, uh, not every single time do we see this, but most of the time when people come and receive the Holy Spirit, it happens because somebody who's already received the Holy Spirit lays hands on another, touches them, and prays for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So part of our invitation today is going to be for you, if you want more, or if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit, for you to come and have somebody lay their hands on you and pray for you. It's just going to be a simple, simple response. We're going to have some of the elders and staff and other people that we know well be available to pray. A second observation. If we really look honestly, I think, at all the texts, the experience of the Holy Spirit looks different in every circumstance. And so today, if you respond and want more, I don't want you to come with any expectations for what it's going to look like. I just want you to come with a really openness and an eagerness to just receive whatever God wants to show you today. Third practical recommendation, both from the Bible and from my own practical experience. Um, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus' leadership, the Holy Spirit is a promised gift to you. It's a promise that God doesn't break. Yet my own experience of it, I can tell you initially it was a, it was a beautiful experience. It was an experience of sensing his love. But there wasn't any kind of display of the gifts or other things that you see in the text in Acts. A lot of that stuff I began to learn and grow into more. And I think a lot of that for me was personally because I'm just this, I'm a really analytical guy. And I'm also really, really suspicious of um, real and fake of emotional manipulation and the real. And so, you know, maybe that's part of the reason sometimes I get critiqued because I don't close services well because I'm so afraid that I'm going to emotionally manipulate that I just sometimes am probably a little too tame. But, But that's a big deal for me. And if you're wired the same way as I am, that's okay. God made you that way. He's going to want to challenge that. He's going to want to shape that so that you can learn to experience and be confident in the presence of the Holy Spirit coming to you and giving you gifts. But it's okay. Just don't come, don't worry about if you experience something or not. If you're there with an open heart, it is a promise you will receive. He's coming to you. And fourth, it is slightly possible for us to not receive it, because of wrong motivation there 's actually a story in Acts eight of Simon the magician. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and he sees the disciples the apostles laying hands on people for them to receive the Holy Spirit and he does not receive why the text actually tells us Simon was formerly a magician, and he saw this power and he wanted it for his own selfish purposes. A lot of us sometimes when we don 't experience anything we think well, maybe I didn't get it and maybe God's really angry with me. But if we look at the context of chapter 8, you have to realize that Simon knew exactly why he wasn't receiving it. It was very clear. The job of the Holy Spirit is to make very clear any areas that he wants us to change. And at the same time, when he brings Nick, makes that very clear, he's also there for us, always for us, giving us the power to change. So I don't want any mind games today. If you come and you don't experience a lot, it's not because God's displeased with you. If, if there is a barrier in your life to, to receiving, He is going to make it so clear you won't have to walk away wondering, is it this, is it that, is it that, and all these mind games. You will know very clearly if that happens. So why receive the Holy Spirit? Why seek a greater release? Because as we've said all along, this is the essence of being a follower of Jesus. This is the centerpiece. Learning to be led by the Spirit of God is the centerpiece of following Christ. Without it, all we have is religion and rules and morals. Why receive? Because the Holy Spirit wants to give you gifts of empowerment to bless your life and to bless the lives of people around you. And He wants to make your life an adventure of receiving those things to make an impact in life. Why receive? Do you want to walk more securely in your sense of confidence that God is leading you in your life decisions? Do you want to walk more confident in the business decisions you're making throughout the day? Do you want to walk more confident in the family decisions you need to make? The decisions you need to face about the future, that comes from learning to receive and experience more and more of the spirits leading our life. Now, I want to invite you, and I'm going to give you some instructions along the way. If the prayer people, uh, elders, staff, and some of the people we asked to pray, could you just come right now? Some of you come down in front, and if uh, three or four of you could go back to the kind of the prayer pod area back there. So if people, we're going to ask you to come and receive in a moment, and you have the option of either walking down here and standing or going back there and finding a seat and letting some people pray for you. So some of you have never really pursued or received all the Holy Spirit wants to give to you in your life because you're like the people in Acts 19. In Acts 19, it says, They came to them and said, Have you received the Holy Spirit? And their response, it says in verse 2, was this. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Some of us, frankly, were raised in traditions where it wasn't talked about. We didn't know anything about it. It was just kind of this thing over here. And you don't know anything about it. God is inviting you today to a new sense of deeper relationship, a brighter future following him. So if you are one who has not so much as heard about this thing, the Holy Spirit, then we want to invite you to come and respond and be prayed for. If you're unsure whether you've received the gift, come and get prayed for. If you just want more, a release of more in your life, then come and get prayed for today. So I'm going to ask you in a moment to actively respond and step out of your pew and come. And when you come, there's just a couple more instructions I want to give you. I want you to come. And uh, just relax, you know, take some sort of a relaxed, comfortable receiving posture. If you ever watch me when I'm worshiping over here, a lot of times you'll see me, you'll see me just hold my hands like this or hold my hands like that. It's just, for me, that's just a physical way of opening myself and a physical way of aligning my body with my heart of saying, God, I just, I just want to receive all that you have today. So just come close your eyes, relax And just receive. And and let's not make this a rushed thing. So the band's going to play a song while while you're coming, and when they're done, there's going to be music that's going to come on. Don't rush yourselves today. Just come and wait. Just take time. If somebody prays for you and goes away, just because they're done praying with you doesn't mean you need to step away. Just, Just stay. If you're receiving something, just stay with it for a while. If you haven't felt like you've received anything, just stay. Somebody else will come and pray for you. If you've got, uh, the only thing I'll say is if is if you're a couple here and you've got kids in child care, if it gets, you know, 10 or 15 minutes past the time the band stops playing, could one of you just go get your kids? It'll make the children's people happy, okay? But other than that, let's just make this about waiting today and receiving. So let's stand and uh, let me pray. One more thing before I pray, sorry. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ, just come down and tell one of the people, I've never followed Christ, and I want to be led in that, and we'll lead you in that and pray for you. But if you're coming for prayer, otherwise, you don't need to tell the people what you're coming for. We're just going to assume you're going to come to want more of the Holy Spirit. So you can just come down, you can start praying, and we'll get to you as soon as we can. Okay, Lord, we just ask that you would come now. And Lord, we've been in this time of talking more about how you want to be so real to us, and we know we can't. We have no power to manipulate your presence and how you make yourself known. But Lord, we ask that during this time that you would uh, come and make yourself known. That you would grace us as we're trying to follow you better and learn more about you to come in ways that we can sense more strongly, we can see more strongly, we can know more strongly just to help us follow you better. So I ask that your spirit now would come and meet all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and come as you want while we're singing. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.